Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. It's a very special day for a variety of different reasons. I want to invite Shay Maltzby, spiritual leader of Unity of Sussex County, to come forward. I've asked Shay to share a few comments. I have another special friend who doesn't know I'm going to call her up, but I'm looking right at her. Ministerial student Dinora Arias is a candidate for ordination through Unity Urban Ministerial School. Dinora, would you come forward, please? I heard a rumor last minute that Dinora would be with us, and I wanted you to get a chance to meet her, and I've never met you in person, just interviews. I've interviewed Dinora a number of times for her ministerial process. I can tell you both of these ladies, come here, you, both of these ladies are credits to the unity movement and are already making enormous contributions. I so appreciate Dinora has been a part of our his Comunidad Hispana here at Unity of Fairfax from her home in New Jersey. And you have been active in Unity of Fairfax the last couple months, participating with us in our Sacred Service Council from your home in New Jersey. Anyone at home in New Jersey, uh, you're welcome to be with us. My sister and brother-in-law are in New Jersey. Y'all come on down. But I just wanted us to give a shout out to the future leadership of the Unity Movement. We are so blessed to have you here. And please don't leave after service right away. So let's give the ladies a round of applause. <laughs> All right. So... Black History Month is very important to us. Don't go what you're right there. Uh, but very important to us here at Unity of Fairfax because in our unity movement, we are committed to co-creating a world of diversity, equity, and inclusivity across all boundaries and any supposed barriers that separate people. I was explaining to Terrence and Bradley this morning that we are community committed to building bridges and not walls. And so one of the ways we do that is to ensure that sacred story gets shared, that we can all understand where each other is coming from so that we can be more empathetic and compassionate and realize ever more fully than ever before how very similar we all are. And so because she was coming and I got an idea, was it yesterday afternoon, I said, hey, Shay, why don't you say a few words to the good people at Unity of Fairfax? All right. Well, thank you, everyone. First of all, thank you for having me here and just being so open and wonderful. I've learned so much this weekend. I'm so excited to now be connected. You guys can't get rid of me. I'll be in New Jersey, but I'll be checking you out. So when Reverend Russ said, oh, hey, I got a divine idea. Will you share what black history means to you? I thought immediately, well, I can talk about how my mother was born in Richmond, Virginia, and how our family line, we were able to trace back on my mother's side of the family back to three individuals that had been enslaved. And then I thought I could tell you about how my mother's second cousin, who we are so proud of, was a senator from Virginia, and in fact, was the governor of Virginia. And that's Douglas Wilder. Okay. And then I thought, hey, I could tell you about how I am actually a black history moment. I'm the first African-American woman to be named 
all Ivy and field hockey. <laughs> yeah, we play field hockey. And then I thought, you know what? A lot of people in this room, I'm sure, are actually black history moments or history moments, the first in their families in some way, shape, or form. And I thought, you know what? I think what I really, though, want to share is how, as a unity person in unity, that I can look to the history of African Americans in this movement and how I can really be inspired by those individuals. And so one individual I want to talk about is Reverend Johnny Coleman. Now, many of you may have heard of her, right? Yeah, give it up. And now what many of you probably have heard is how she basically was the person to help desegregate Unity Village. But there's so much more richness about Reverend Johnny Coleman that, interestingly enough, is not known throughout many people who attend Unity Centers around the world and around the country. And some of that is that when she became a minister, when she got ordained in the 50s, she went to Chicago. She started a Unity Center of her own. And that center literally grew to be the largest Unity Center in the country and in the world. Literally. Right. On Sundays, it was known that she would have more than 4,000, listen to that, 4,000 people attending Sunday services. That was even more than Eric Butterworth. <laughs> yeah, and Joel Osteen. <laughs> She was known to have a, a magnificent, right, magnificent prosperity consciousness. So, you know, I know some people that were taught by her, and they said how she used to go to the bank in the early days. There wasn't that much in the bank. She didn't have that much in her pocketbook, but she would bring this huge pocketbook <laughs> with her to the bank because it was an outward demonstration of abundance and prosperity. She wrote several books. Many of them were actually pamphlets, so they're difficult to find today. But two that you can find, one is Open Your Mind to Be Healed, and the other one is It Works If You Work It. And she used to talk about it works if you work it, and the it is principle, God principle. She used to also say, you are the thinker that thinks the thought that creates the thing. You are the thinker that thinks the thought that creates the thing. And she used to also say, how big is your God? I like that one. How big is your God? Meaning, how big is your consciousness? God is limitless. And can you step into that limitlessness? The other thing I just want to share about her is in the middle of Chicago, this massive abundance consciousness drew right, drew to her so that she could receive from a donor 32 acres of land. Come on now, 32 acres of land. Not only 32 acres of land, but in Chicago. Oh my goodness, 
And then they took that land and they made a campus so that there were multiple buildings so that they could support so many individuals. And then I just got one more thing to share. Not only was she a teacher, but she helped to create a lot of leaders around the country. Has anyone heard of Les Brown, a motivational speaker? He came out of her teachings. Della Reese came out of her teachings. Reverend Barbara King, who uh, left the, the earth a couple years ago, who started, started a wonderful center down in Atlanta, came out of those teachings, and so many more. She supported congressmen, Jesse Jackson. The church still stands. She actually became the president of what is now known as Unity Worldwide Ministries. So, you know, again, we, when we usually talk about her, we talk about that desegregation, which is extremely important, but there's so much more to learn from her, so much more to emulate, and so much more so that we can step into being all of who we are. So that's what Black History Month means to me. Yeah, thank you. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Thank you, Shay. Shay is uh, slated to be licensed as a unity minister uh, next month. So we're very excited to observe her progress. And somebody please take her car keys. She's not leaving. Okay. So what do we do with this big God idea when multiple things happen at the same time? Do you ever have an experience in your life where a couple big things just kind of landed on the same day and you think, goodness gracious, how am I going to navigate this? What's going to get my biggest uh, attention? Or how can I meld these things in a meaningful way that my life is empowered? That day for me is today. Because a couple things are happening in the world today and this week that we really need to address from the platform. The first one, of course, is the Super Bowl. <laughs> so that's tonight. Um, I'm not saying that there is a favorite, but I will say that Silent Unity, our prayer ministry for the Unity Movement, is based in Kansas City. <laughs> Do with that information as, as you will. <laughs> Second thing... It's Valentine's Day. It's on Tuesday. So I thought, well, okay, how do I meld these things together? And more importantly, what am I going to wear? So that's what I was struggling with this morning. So I looked in my closet, and I saw a red football jersey. So I've got red for Valentine's Day. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who won the Super Bowl two years ago, I figured that's what I'm going to wear. That's my existential problem. I have found a solution. I have found a solution to that situation. So we are in our series about the life visioning process put forward by Reverend uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith. Life visioning is a meditation practice. And so we've been using these last few weeks to explain the practice and we will engage it more fully in the upcoming. All right, Amy, who did that? 
Okay, fair enough. Fair. Okay, is that how we were? That, is that how? Is that how it's going to be today? That, that, that's how it's going to be. Apparently, uh, life visioning has nothing to do with Gatorade, but I suppose it does. Somebody at the University of Florida was thinking, how can we make a, uh, an energy drink that will rehydrate people and make a lot of money? We'll come up with Gatorade. That's that's the story. That's how that happened. Life visioning is a meditation practice, and it is one that requires some understanding and teaching so that we can engage it appropriately. So I wanted to highlight, though, uh, just to bring everybody up to speed, life visioning is not visualization. So however, they are related. Visualization includes our faculty of imagination. What can you imagine happening in the world? What can you see with your mind's eye? Uh, that's visualization. It's really a powerful skill. A lot of athletes use it to visualize making the touchdown, making the Hail Mary pass, you know, making the, the whatever point that you need to make. Visioning is really a, an inward process of intuition, listening to the, the voice or the activity of spirit, sensing the movement of spirit in your life. It's a little bit different, although the two are very much related. So that's the combination there. Secondly, we wanted to highlight is that when there are, when one does engage in this process, there's preparation. We've already done some of that. The first step to beginning a meditation process is to physically relax, keep your body comfortable so it does not become a distraction. The second point we focused on last week, and that is center yourself in the divine idea of love. In our unity teachings and in other teachings as well, we know that love is a great magnet of our good. We might say it is a magnet that draws our good to us. And every bit as much in the converse, it draws us to our good. So if there is something you're wanting to vision, something you're, an answer you're wanting to have, by centering yourself in the divine idea of love, you open your mind to the divine ideas that that might be. So what do I mean by how do we specifically do that? Well, let's say you're getting your meditation position, you get comfy and cozy. And then I encourage people and myself when I do the process to think about things that I love. People that I love, animals that I love, things I love to do, places I love to be, things I love to eat <laughs> that I really shouldn't, but I, I do anyway. That sort of thing. And don't think, and then move yourself from that experience really to what that feels like in your heart and in your mind, whether it's bliss or contentment, relaxation, joy, exhilaration. All of those things bring to mind this feeling, this experience. This is what love feels like. Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, mentioned uh, the idea of love when he said, uh, and this quote, the development of divine love has its place in demonstrating supply, supply being whatever it is you desire to have. When love is established in the consciousness, it will draw to us all that we require to make us happy and contented, all that really belongs to us. Those last words are really the most important. All that really belong to us. Because we might love some things, we might be able to visualize some things, 
but the things our soul needs for its evolution, the things that we need to be and have and do to be our best possible selves, that's where we want to put our attention, the things that really belong to us, the things that define us, the things that help us live out our purpose here on planet Earth as human beings. By centering ourselves in divine love, we open ourselves to intuiting, to knowing, to feeling, to becoming coming aware of ever more fully what are the things that are really ours to be and do and have, rather than just the things that would be nice, or I see that somebody else has, and I think, oh, I want that. What's really mine to fulfill my calling in this world? So those, that's the preparation. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty. The actual steps of the process are here on the screen. I'm going to come to the other side because I always see people walk near the candle. I think, don't fall. Don't knock over the candle. So the first question, what is the highest vision for my life or a particular life area? What must I release to bring this vision into manifestation? What must I embrace or body or become in order to live out this vision? What gifts, talents, qualities do I already possess that will help bring this into manifestation? The drop back in punt question is, is there anything else I need to know? And then gratitude. So we look at this as a spiritual exercise. We, because as spiritual beings having a human experience, we want to find a way to, to embody a way of being that allows us to always stay connected with God as we understand God to be, the divine ideas, the divine principles that order the universe, and God as we don't understand God to be, that divine mystery out of which comes curiosity and delight and joy and new discovery. We want to stay open to our divine identity as spiritual beings. And yet there is another way that this is important for us. It is a psychological perspective. Some of us are familiar with Jungian psychology or the analytical psychology of Carl Jung, also known as depth psychology. And one of the great leaders who, uh, of the American movement of analytical psychology, James Hollis, former director of the Jung Center of Washington, DC, he's spoken here before, wrote in one of his books, we need to periodically ask, what wants to come into the world through me? This is not an ego-driven, narcissistic question. It is a query which summons us to show up, to serve something larger than the familiar, the comfortable. Surely one of the most telling tests of our lives is whether we are living in such a way that is driven more by challenge than by comfort one which asks more of us than we had planned to offer. You know, we often say around here, God doesn't care if you're comfortable. God cares if you're growing. Or we might say your soul or your psyche doesn't care if you're comfortable. It cares if you're growing. If you are, and what do we mean by growing? What we mean is if you are willing, ultimately, to experience the divine in absolutely every area of your life. It means ultimately, are you willing to find something praiseworthy and good in every situation of your life? 
Are you willing to love yourself more fully and completely today than you ever have in any moment of time in your life? And are you willing to love one another more fully and completely? And then back that up with action. Because as human beings, we really like to be comfortable. Anybody here enjoy being comfortable? Yeah, yeah, it's just a lot simpler, it's a lot easier, or so it seems. But it's not much of a stretch. What the life visioning process is about is really leaning into this question. What's the highest vision for my life? What's spirit's highest vision for my life? What can I be? And I know a lot of us, or at least this guy, is sometimes afraid to ask that question. And I had to be with that for a while. When I first started working with this process, why am I afraid to ask what is the highest and best vision for my life? And the immediate answer that came back is, I might not like it. Or what if it's oh, God's will that I should be a martyr and suffer? <laughs> You ever hear that? Oh, it's God's will that he suffers. So really, we don't teach that here. What do we teach in unity and new thought? The nature of God is absolute good. And in our first course of metaphysics, what we affirm for everybody is God's will, the divine will for everyone is absolute good. There's no question about that. Absolute good. It's not a relative. There aren't conditions. Absolute good. Now, the details are up to us. And some of those details mean how willing are we to step into our greatness? How willing are we to step into our bigness? How willing are we to not be comfortable in the process of attaining a greater good? That's the work. There is this, this attachment to the couch of life. You know, it's like you know, couch potatoes. It's comfy on the couch. My dog likes the couch. She doesn't like being reminded that's not really her place. We as human beings want to be comfortable. So to break the addiction to comfort is how we will lean into our greatness. And what I needed to look at, and what some of you may need to look at as well, is the question of how much am I afraid of my highest good? I realize that doesn't make a lot of sense because we hear it and we think, why would anybody be afraid of their highest good? Why would anybody be afraid of experiencing absolute self-love and absolute loving relationships? Why would anyone be afraid of having enough of material things to be happy? Why would anybody be afraid of, of having enough education? Why would anybody be afraid of vibrant health? Why would we be afraid to ask what that means? It's because in some way, we realize that that's inviting the hero's journey, which says in some way there might be something we need to release. We need to embrace or become. 
There might be some other information we might need to know, but here's the thing about this process of connecting with our intuition and connecting to Christ within the hope of glory, connecting with that divine spirit is we have all the capacity to maintain and achieve that highest vision. There's nothing that's going to get in the way if you're willing to at least ask what it is. And yet many of us go through life thinking, I'm afraid unconsciously, this is an ego quest thought, unconsciously afraid of being our best and biggest selves. Because it means we will have to do a little work. And we'll have to break free from our ossified image of this is who I am. I must maintain this is who I am. I feel like a character from South Park. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the sort of life we get when we're afraid and let fear prevent us from even asking the question of what's my best and highest good. Because we may need to be different. We may need to stretch. We may need to, be, may need to grow. But what's the promise on the other side? The promise of doing this life visioning process, peace of mind, contentment, self-acceptance, enough of every good thing for whatever you want, vibrant health, you name it. So how attached are we to the status quo? You know, it's kind of like looking at an acorn. We use this analogy a lot. And there are some acorns that will never be planted because the idea of being an oak tree is just too darn scary. There's some oak trees that will be planted and may only grow into a sapling. Something comes along, whatever. Anyway, it's, a, it's a metaphor, okay, so work with me. It's a metaphor, and that's all it gets. And there are some oak trees that get to be about this tall. And then there are those that get so big, they are spreading their acorns all over the place and allowing us to have a beautiful analogy. So I want us to consider these steps and make a note. We'll be sending out some more information about this in the next couple weeks on social media. And again, we'll pick up this topic next week. I want to leave you with the question, am I afraid of my best and highest good? And if I'm not afraid of it, what would it be? My best and highest good in any situation. So your homework, two parts. First part, I'm giving you right now that question. Really get clear with yourself. Am I afraid of my best and highest good? Am I, is there something that is preventing and precluding me from attaining any goal, any desire I have in my life? Another way of phrasing that, am I addicted to being comfortable into what I have and am and do right now? Is that, am I willing, am I reached my peak in any area of my life? Maybe so. Or am I willing to stretch and grow and be curious about what could be next? The second thing is to rephrase these questions, if I could have the slide back, that you can integrate into any situation in your daily life without ever having to ask or invite whoever you're with into a spiritual process. So we're going to go back to the five questions on the slide, if I could have those up again. This first question, which will be there presently, 
what's the highest vision for my life? If you are in a business meeting or a session or, or a homeowners association meeting, oh, praise God. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still working on forgiveness work from our homeowners association in Florida. That's a whole different thing. So instead of sitting in the meeting and going, what's the highest vision for our meeting? They may look at you like, you're nuts. You know that. You can say, what's the best that can happen in this situation? You know, so often you, people go into meetings and they think, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody please ask the question, what's the best that can happen? If, we, if everything worked out for our organization, for our team, for our committee, what's the best that could happen? Ask that question. Direct the conversation to where you want it to go. Number two, what must I release? So another way to rephrase that question, what's getting in the way of us manifesting or completing this task? What's getting in the way here? Identify it. Or is there something else going on that we don't see? Next question, what must I embrace and body or become in order to live this vision? In a business meeting, that's not going to be a question that people want to hear. But we could ask, what needs to change? Or how do we need to function differently in this situation? How do I need to function differently? Same question, same intention, same goal, different words. What do we already have? You know, if you have mechanical, mechanically inclined people in your group, just ask, what's in our toolbox? What do we have that can work in this situation that we haven't started using yet? Number five. Yeah, we can keep that one. Something's got to stay in there. Number six. In a business setting, family setting, social setting somewhere, if they're not really into the whole gratitude thing. I don't know why they wouldn't be. Gratitude is a great multiplier of our good. You can always say to them, well, you know, folks, there is always a way. Let's find it. And since it's Super Bowl Sunday, all you need to tell them is, game on. <laughs> Peace be with you. Namaste, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.